to Dina Mathieson, writer and podcaster and extraordinarily brilliant woman and co-host of History is Sexy, the podcast where we answer people's questions about history and make it sexy. Hello, Dr. Emma Southern, writer and historian and proper real person who knows stuff and has qualifications to <laughs> History is Sexy, the podcast where we answer people's questions about history. Hey! <laughs> there we go, there's our opener. Well done, well done. Happy Christmas, Janina. Happy Christmas. It doesn't feel very Christmassy because we're recording this in November, but still, (laughs) this Christmas. And I refuse to let Christmas start before the 1st of December. I absolutely refuse. Partly because my birthday is on the 29th of November and it always just gets lost amid the chaos. And it's just not fair. It could be worse. My sister's birthday is on the 27th of December. That's awful. Yeah. So it's just like, it's not even like Christmas Day or Boxing Day where you could just merge it in. It's just like one day after when everyone's kind of fed up of celebrating. Yeah, so. so tired. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah sucks yeah. for her. It does suck. Mine's in the summer, it's great, it's not anyone, anything else. Basically, uh, just people to celebrate just me. shouldn't have sex around <laughs> in, in like February or March. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah, just ban, just banned. Yeah, ban sex right then. Well, there we go. When we run the world, that will be our thing. <laughs> no Christmas birthdays because no one's allowed to have sex yeah. for that entire two months. Although I do, the nice thing is sometimes when I was a kid, I would get really, really big presents that were com- a combined present. Like if I oh, if yeah. I wanted something really, really expensive, then I would uh, like I'd, I would ask for it. My parents would say, "Well, that will be your Christmas and your birthday," but none of the other kids got that. Well, my brother did as well because he's his birthday's in December, but you know. It's, yeah. it's that's quite nice. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I suppose you do get that. Um, yeah. I think my sister used to get quite mad because everybody else got like two sets of presents, but quite often she would get a combined birthday and Christmas present. Oh yeah, it can't be. You have to. It has to be your choice because there's something you want so much that you're willing to combine the two. Yeah. Whereas she definitely got like. And I have definitely been guilty of doing this as well. Like, <laughs> oh, this is your combined birthday and Christmas present. <laughs> because I had to buy like 50 presents and this is, this one is yours. <laughs> but anyway, so it's Christmas. Yes. So we're doing Christmas short questions. So lots of little questions about Christmas, of which quite a lot overlapped, which was very useful. Yeah. So we can put them all together. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So shall we get started? Let's get started. So the first three questions are all relatively similar and are about versions of Santa and St. Nicholas. So the first is from Josh Moore and is which version of Santa is the best? Second is Tim Lutton. How did St. Nicholas become the caricature as we know him today? And the third is from Jessica B, who apparently in our last Quick Questions episode I called Beth Becky for no reason. <laughs> I have no idea. Is that why she's I... tweeted us with Becky in parentheses? Yeah. I'm like, I'm so confused. If you're Becky, then why is your name Jessica? Yeah. I don't know. I think that I might have blurred her together with Becky Bryoff from... Oh, from... Um, and then what? Yeah. And I don't know why that would happen either. But apparently just Becky came out of my mouth. <laughs> so Becky, Jessica, Bessica... Jackie uh, <laughs> said, I always wanted to know more about Christmas in the Netherlands, which does not sound related, but very much is yeah, because we... Santa is. Well, we'll, let's, we'll we're going to get related. to it. Let's, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. Yeah. So it's a good story. 
Here's a good story. So this is a beefy answer, but then it it's okay because it's for three questions. Yeah, so it's three questions, which is why this is yeah. a slightly longer answer. Yeah, but it still qualifies as quick, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I mean, we could totally have done a whole episode on Santa. Maybe that'll be next year. Mm, yeah. When people have forgotten that we've done this one. <laughs> <laughs> so it all begins with St. Nicholas in the third century. He was the Bishop of Myra, which is in Turkey. So he's a Turkish bishop. Mm-hmm. Christian at a time when it was not legal to be a Christian. He was exiled during the persecution of Diocletian. He lived all through the civil wars after Diocletian died, was very grumpy, and then got through Constantine to the legalization of Christianity and managed to turn up at the Council of Nicaea, Mm -hmm. where they decided which was the correct Christianity, uh, decided whether they believed in the Trinity or not, basically. Sure and wrote the Nicene Creed and decided this is good and this is bad. He is very famous if you like saints. (laughs) And he's the saint of a lot of things. He's a saint of like a hundred (laughs) things, of which sex workers and children are the main ones. Mm. But he's also, there's some really nice ones in there. He's the patron saint of pawnbrokers. And of reformed thieves, which is nice. Yes. I like that one Do you know a lot. why he's a patron saint of pawnbrokers and sex workers? Do you want to know? I do. So this is also why he's related to Christmas. So the most famous story about him, it's not the best story about him, but it's the most famous one, is that he knew of a family of a father and three young women who were poor and destitute and... The father could not afford to pay dowries for his daughters, so they would never be able to get married. Mm-hmm. And apparently the only other option in third century Myra <laughs> is if you're poor is to go into sex work. Mm-hmm. So he snuck three bags of gold into like down their chimney <laughs> and into what was either stockings or shoes and like snuck them in there as an anonymous gift so that they would be able to have dowries and they would be saved from a life of sex work. And that's why he is the patron saint of sex workers, but although it does seem like he doesn't approve of them very much. Um, Maybe he just um, doesn't approve of it being a forced lifestyle instead of one that you choose for yourself. To be honest, as an early Christian bishop, I suspect he thought that all sex was bad. (laughs) He probably did. And if you enjoyed it by accident, you were going to hell. But (laughs) those three bags of gold become the three gold balls that you see on pawnbrokers. Oh, wow. So there you go. That's really cool. But he is like this kick-ass adventure hero, kind of ready to rip off his robe and punch someone in the face (laughs) at any given moment. And all of the stories about him are amazing. So it's so, and what I'm envisioning here is like that moment in The Simpsons when you find out that Flanders is super cut. Oh yeah, yeah. See, I imagine it as you know that bit when groundskeeper Willie rips off his clothes and then sure. goes oil me up. Yeah, that <laughs> bit. So very, very similar. <laughs> so at the Council of Nicaea, which is let me remind you, a church council where a load of bishops got around to talk about whether they believed in the Trinity or not. So literally. Is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit three entities that are the same entity? Or is are they three separate entities? Basically, that's the question. Sure. They came down on the side that they are the same entity. Yeah, and this is where we get God is three persons that are yeah, exactly. one person. 
Yeah, he's three and one, and that is the majesty of him. Um, and Arian on the other side was the primary guy arguing for the separate thing. Sure. And apparently Nicholas got so mad at Arian and Arian's heresy, <laughs> it just punched him in the face. <laughs> Which See, is great. <laughs> this, this is one of my favourite things about history. It's like, I mean, it is like, again, finding out which I only did recently because I've not studied, I've studied a bit of American history, but not a massive amount, that one time the vice president just did a duel and killed someone. Killed, like, a really important (laughs) politician. Which vice president? Um, Aaron Burr killing Alexander Hamilton, which I only found out because of the musical. (laughs) And it's like, wow. Like, history, everyone we hear about in history was just, you know, an idiot human because we're all idiot humans. And it just makes me so happy. Yeah, they all had tempers and stupid senses of humour. Mm-hmm. There's this really great like Justinian-era mosaic of the Council of Nicaea, and it looks very much like someone is holding <laughs> St Nicholas back. Like, this is the moment they've gone, leave him, Nicholas, leave him! <laughs> He's not, He's not worth it! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so here's this badass. There's also the story about like a butcher killing three young men and Nicholas finding out about it somehow and then going to the butcher shop and going, I'd like some fresh meat, please. And the butcher goes, oh, well, this is the freshest I've got. And Nicholas goes, no, it's not. The freshest meat is there. And he kicks over the barrel and the uh, three people who have been killed and cut up spring back to life. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So that is the life of St. Nicholas. Badass. Uh, <laughs> and he became like a really popular saint after he was buried and he was entombed and he was sainted and he had all of his miracles. This is, um, I don't know if you've had this this particular trailer autoplay at you on Netflix yet, but there's a Christmas movie out this year starring Kurt Russell that all of a sudden makes yes. a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Also looks amazing. Can't it does look amazing. It. I'm definitely watching it, but not till December because... Yeah, not till after the 29th. Yeah, that's the rule. So he um, he started leaking healing fluid, which is disgusting. How did they but... find that out? Did he just start like leaking some sort of bile and someone put it on a wound? I, well, I'm unclear. Well, he was like, he was sanctified, made a saint, and then his relics were put in a cathedral and so they were kind of on display and people would go and see them and then like his sarcophagus or whatever started leaking goo people were like he was already a saint so people would just rub his saint stuff his saint goo on them sure and we're like now i am healed great yeah so uh, his saint's day is the 6th of december which became a big massive celebration saint day throughout a lot of europe particularly in northern europe in germany and the netherlands but also like around europe it's pretty big in Mm. a lot of places but these days it is associated with the netherlands because of sinterklaas and you can see how we got there saint nicholas sinterklaas saint nicholas sinterklaas and every year sinterklaas arrives in netherlands from spain where he lives and he arrives accompanied by in the words of david sedaris (laughs) Six to eight black men. So now we uh, get to talk about Zwart Piet. Yeah. So I'm uh, kind of excited because this very weekend, uh, which is the first weekend of December, I'm going to be in Amsterdam. I'm going, I have a friend who just accidentally scheduled her wedding for um, the first weekend in December and then had to message everyone she invited saying, you might 
struggle to find accommodation because all of the people will be in Amsterdam to celebrate the racist Christmas thing. Yeah, the racist Christmas Which thing. was the first time I'd pr- I think I've probably heard a little bit about Swartpiet before, but it's the first time I actually properly looked into it, which I feel bad about because I am Dutch. I'm a Dutch citizen, which is why I can live here. But my grandfather, who I get that from, just never talked about anything to do with the Netherlands at all. Like, not at all. I he love- never spoke the language. He barely mentioned it. And when we were all applying for our Dutch citizenship... He was like, why on earth would you do that? I worked so hard to become a New Zealand citizen and now you want to go back? <laughs> I love that he was just like, look, I've left. And it was, we've yeah. just abandoned it. Like, uh, my we, parents- we called him and my grandmother, Omar and Oprah, and that's literally the only Dutch thing that they had, <laughs> that he had going on for his entire adult life. Yeah, my I've got relatives in Australia who, if you didn't happen to be related to them, were you would assume that they were five generations back in Australia because they never mentioned the fact that they were like were well into their twenties before they moved to Australia. Yeah. yeah. It's a fun thing. But yeah, he is an interestingly hideous thing. Yeah. Uh, we have a pal, in fact, friend of the show, Anna Scott Piano, has been sending me some things about when he arrived in the Netherlands from Spain. Um, so it goes for about three weeks. And he arrived on November the 17th. And there were effectively riots, like massive protests, because there are really big protests against Zwartpiet. So Zwartpiet or Black Pete, there are actually lots of different stories about where he came from. And I don't, I think it's pretty unclear which ones were original and which have developed even quite recently. Mm -hmm. His first appearance, his first sort of documented appearance is in a children's book by Young. Jan Schwenkman came out in 1850, which was crucially before the Netherlands abolished slavery. They were still deep in the slave trade at this point. Yep, yep, yep. But it seems like the character was had been around for like 50 years or so, at least, uh, by the point that this book was written. So some claim that he, Sinterklaas, comes from Spain with his, with his helper, Black Pete, who is a Moor. Some claim that he's a tamed demon, and that's why his skin is dark. Um, and some claim, and this is, I think, a, a much more modern interpretation. Some claim that he is white, but is covered in soot because he's the one who goes up and down all the chimneys. And that, yes. I think, is uh, that's an interpretation that a lot of people, well, some people, because there's still a lot of resistance to the idea that Black Pete is racist, but some people choose that interpretation deliberately to get away yeah, from that is, the blackface yeah. accusations. Because there is, this is a, like, it's straight there up are parades... Face. Full of blackface, and not just blackface, but proper minstrel show blackface with big red lips, curly black wigs, and in some mm-hmm. cases, massive gold earrings. Yep, yep, yep. And like, they wear like purpley velvet, and yeah, it is uh, ludicrous. And racists yeah. love it. Like, yeah. the people who support most actively Black Pete are like, hello, I am here with my Hitler salutes as well, they I were think, today. I think that's quite rec- uh, recent. I think some of the stuff it I is. read, they did this study on Dutch children, like around five to seven years old, where they asked them to identify who Black Pete is. And I think like less than 10% of the kids identified him as of African heritage. They just saw mm-hmm. him as a character in and of himself. So... People try to use that to justify the fact that they still do that. He's not racist. And I think However, the most recent surveys have like 90% of people in the Netherlands are like, no, it's fine. What do you want about? 
Yeah. However, the the alt right do love it. Yeah. Yeah. Everything now is so easily co-opted by the alt right and by white supremacists, which obviously is happening with Black Pete right now. There, so there have been protests this year that have been become violent because of far right anti protesters protesting the yes. protest. Well, there's anti-racist protesters who protest Black Pete, and then there are the racists yes. who fight the anti-racists. And Anna sent me a picture of the riot police protecting the Black Peets mm-hmm. with the line, in case there was any confusion about the state's stance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they um, are, yeah. And I mean, the uh, Prime Minister, as recently as 2014, spoke out in support of Black Pete as a character, and he literally, what he said was, "I can't change, I can't change him because his name is Black Pete, so he's Black yeah. Pete." Um, so that's the end of that. And then he also <laughs> said that all of his, I'm sure, many Black friends that he has, have a much better time with uh, their centre class parades because they don't have to paint their faces, whereas white people have all of this trouble with the black paint they are that's obliged to, to put all over their faces. Oh, um, it's such a pain. But even without uh, like the sort of super horrific racist stuff, there. There are cases of him just being used as an as a means by which to harass people. So um, Al Jazeera have written up a an article on the recent riots and protests about yes, Black Pete. which Jessica sent us. Yes, thank you so Becky much for sending that to us. Yeah. Um, and they interviewed one of the anti Black Pete protesters, a guy called Jerry Afriyi, who's a Ghanaian immigrant. He moved to the Netherlands as a kid and has been teased ever since he moved there for about the fact that he looks like Black Pete and that, the fact that he's dirty in the same way that Zwart Piet is. And it's, yeah, so it's it's super shitty. And as a, as a partially Dutch woman, I hereby condemn Black Pete. <laughs> it's revolting. Yeah. So that's Black Pete. That is obviously terrible. But the main part of it is Sinterklaas, who is a bishop in a big red robe with a big red hat and a big white beard, and a lovely horse. Oh, yeah, the horse is very good. It is, and he looks pretty much like Santa. The way that he became Santa is that the east coast of America was pretty much settled by Dutch people and British people, colonised, sorry, by Dutch people and British people. And that was not particularly a big deal. The Dutch people celebrated their St Nicholas's Day and British people pretty much celebrated Christmas and that was not really much of a muchness until the Revolutionary War when Americans started to try, people who now defined themselves as American as a unique identity, started to try to move away from looking to British identity and to emphasise Dutch identity and started to really push Sinterklaas mm-hmm. as a East Coast thing. As an aside, I think this is also where America gets apple pie from. Oh, is it really? I think so. I think Dutch and German and like ancestry is what's led to the American obsession with apple pie. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is that they particularly in New York take very much to this idea of Santa Claus, of Sinterklaas and St. Nicholas as their kind of patron saint almost. And there is a movement in the 19th century to specifically make St. Nicholas slash Sinterklaas like a New York thing. And so they take 
Sinterklaas and his big red robe and his big white beard. And there are four specific men who create Santa Claus as we now know him. The first is, and I think this is really interesting, is Washington Irving, who wrote a book called History of New York and then rewrote it again in 1812. And it included a dream sequence of St. Nicholas flying in a carriage over New York, which makes no sense in the context because he <laughs> appears to have come up with it just off the top of his head. But I think this is interesting because Washington Irving, if you remember way back, was the person who also came up with the myth that Native Americans did not know what a boat was, so they literally couldn't see the boats as they arrived. Oh, this guy! Yeah, and he then he wrote, you know, what's it called? The guy who falls asleep for 100 years. Oh, Rip, Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkle, yeah. Mm. And apparently Washington Irving has had, like, this unbelievably important influence on is... the way that modern Americans define themselves. It's fuck wild when you think that everything he says he... is nonsense. Yeah, and it's just writing bit, like little fictional stories. Yeah, look at this. And it, look at this little fancy. He wrote um, yeah. Sleepy Hollow. And as everyone's well. gone. Well, that seems very important. It's we'll adopt that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then in uh, pretty much exactly the same time, eighteen ten, a guy called John Pintard wrote a pamphlet where he suggested that Saint Nick be made the patron saint of New York, which included all this stuff about like being jolly and happy and sure. I mean, the red and all the rest. It seems like a big ask, as we have discussed. St. Nicholas is already looking after a lot of lot of shit at this point. He's got a lot, and now they want him to give New York as well. Yeah. But then in 1822, you get The Night Before Christmas. So The Night Before Christmas predates our conception of Santa Claus as we have yes, now. Yes, it does. That is fascinating. And it draws... There's another really interesting thing about The Night Before Christmas is that the, it's was originally published anonymously mm-hmm. and eventually Clement Moore claimed responsibility for it. But mm-hmm. there is some question over whether he actually wrote it because Ooh. he was never really... Like, there were some questions over whether it was somebody else and he just went, no, it was me. And nobody ever fought him on it. But anyway. Yeah, I see that a lot of people now believe it was written by Henry Livingston Jr. Yeah, but yes, which is interesting. Yeah. But he basically drew a lot off of... German and Scandinavian myth and things that he knew about German and Scandinavian life. Mm -hmm. And he would put together the reindeer. He invented the reindeer. Like, all of that just comes directly. He didn't... That wasn't some kind of tradition that existed beforehand. It just comes straight out of of Clement Moore. So is that the fact that we now think of the reindeer and the sleigh as flying, is that a combination of... The Night Before Christmas and Washington Irving's yeah. dream sequence. So he like took that, he took the flying bit from Washington Irving and John Pintard and he put in the reindeer to make them fly and like he had the chimney thing already from Sinterklaas mm-hmm. and like he put it all together and created it effectively. And then the final kind of cherry on top was that in 1963, which is so late... The Thomas Nash did a series of drawings in Harper's Weekly where he drew him as like the fat belly, the ho ho ho, the the workshop and everything. So he added like the North Pole workshop mm-hmm. that he works in year round and that's where he lives and blah 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 blah. So it's a super recent like invention series series 
like as a series of people building on what had come before but and then finally it goes global and becomes blurred with father christmas Mm -hmm. who is a completely separate completely english folklore tradition yeah by a guy called and this is a fantastic name haddon sundbloom (laughs) that's that that's not a name mate i'm sorry it's not a name my darling child haddon uh (laughs) yeah he like took thomas nast's pictures and turned them into the coca-cola adverts Mm -hmm. which is then what took it global which is why you hear a lot of people saying that coca-cola invented santa claus yeah and that he's red and white because of the colors of coke and stuff Mm. which is not true which is not true um, yeah and chris kringle is a related german version that kind of got blurred in the american tradition in new york again Mm-hmm. And then it all, once globalisation kicked in, it became Father Christmas became blurred in. And Father Christmas is a kind of very old English personification of Christmas festivities, basically. This is what is, I think, so interesting about sort of the last couple of hundred years. Well, so, like, all, all of the stuff always, like mythology and legends and folktales, they all develop organically. But it's only relatively recently, when you consider the scope of all history, that we've had so many cultures just smushed together by globalization, mm. by colonization, that you can see really clearly <laughs> where the roots came from. And it's it's fascinating and also really kind of fucked up in some ways. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. The interesting thing, I think, is the way that it had the way that American culture has become the dominant culture like the american version is the main version because american culture is the culture that everybody that has taken over basically and that everybody looks to um and that father christmas is this like very old english folk tradition dating back to like the 14th 15th century i think the earliest written version is a guy called richard smart who wrote a christmas carol he was the rector of plimtree which is the most english thing that you can say about a thing <laughs> where haddon what was his name haddon sunbloon is the most american name that has ever existed <laughs> rector of plimtree is the most english thing that has ever existed and he wrote a, a carol called sir christmas sure. which has everybody encouraging like sir christmas comes and announce christ's birth and everybody has a lovely time but he has now become blurred completely into Father Chris, into Santa Claus, and they are effectively synonyms these days. Yeah, which is interesting. So he's kind of like this weird chimera mashup of yeah. going back to Saint Nicholas. He is a saint, really, that we have turned into a weird cartoon. Yeah, it's very um, very weird into kind of a mascot more than anything else. Yeah, it's an odd little thing really now because now that we don't necessarily celebrate Christmas as a religious festival. Yeah. Although we'll discuss that a bit more in a minute. But he has become completely detached from his saint roots basically apart from the gift giving element which is, you know, to yeah. a certain I suppose can comes from the gift giving because he was the other thing that St Nick was very big on like the original St. Nicholas was giving away stuff like charity and living a, a, a chaste, modest life and giving away everything you had to people mm-hmm. who needed it more. Yeah. Which we'll also come back to. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's your favourite, Janina? My favourite version? 
Yeah, I mean, which one is the best? Original to answer the final question. flavor, punching people in debates, obviously. Original St. Nick, punching people, Original, giving yeah. poor women money so that they had some just two options instead of one in there <laughs> and what to do with their lives. Yeah. He's, I'm a fan. You're a, I see, I like Original St. Nicholas. I like him, I like him punching people. I like the bit where he brings people back to life. Mm-hmm. I like the bit where he's kicking over barrels and ripping off his clothes. He's very good, which is, again, and we'll probably get to this, very Jesus. Yeah, it is. I know that I talk about Apocrypals a lot, but Apocrypals episode this week is on St. Nicholas and St. Lucy, who is a saint who is celebrated at around about the same time, I want to say the 12th of December, something around then, mm-hmm. who is celebrated in Southern Europe a lot. And is also very interesting, but mm. is not related to St. Nick, so he does, she doesn't count in this one. Um, but yeah, and it's got lots of good stories of him kicking shit. And Benito Serino, who is one of the guys who does that, has written a lot of comic books, uh, like comic book versions <laughs> of St. Nicholas stories, which are great. That is so great. He should be a comic hero. Imagine that. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. We've got Thor. Why don't we have St. Nick? Come on, Marvel. Yeah, I know, right? Come on, Marvel. <laughs> well, Benito Serino, like, by himself, is a comic book writer and is doing his best. Well, yeah. <laughs> Everyone, if you could back Benito in this, in his his sacred mission to make yeah. a superhero out of literal St. Nicholas. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Apocrypals is very, very good, and you all should listen to it that. It is too. great. Yeah, I don't know what Oliver's favourite one is. Oliver, he, what's your favourite? Oliver, what's your favourite? You get to join in because it's Christmas. Father Christmas. Christmas. So the English folklore version, that is a pretty good one, to be fair. That would be my second Mm favourite. Big drunk man. (laughs) Yeah. This is the thing, because he's always got a red nose and a beer gut. So, yeah. Father Christmas Christmas likes his mulled wine at the holidays. He likes his eggnog. When we get to the... Question number eight, we will talk a bit more about Father Christmas because, yeah, he's pretty much, like, big and merry and a, just a great time. Yeah. But, yeah, As so that's that question. Brian Blessed. Yeah, yes, definitely played by Brian Blessed. A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> so question number two comes from a friend of the podcast, Anna Scott, who hopefully you will remember from our excellent music episode, which was excellent because of her mainly... Uh, She asks, I want to know why the angel goes atop the tree, because when I asked this as a kid, I was told that she was bothering Santa so much about decorating the tree that he lost it and said, go shove it up your ass. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I think that is, I feel like she might have been asking maybe a lot of questions that day and whatever parent was just like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, like that's so much better than what it actually is. It's very good. Yeah, the real one is that it's just literally, like, the angel Gabriel and, like, overseeing everything. Like, it was the angel yeah. Gabriel who he, appeared he to everybody. He was the one who was in charge of telling everyone that Mary was pregnant with Jesus, basically. Yeah. His showed, was up, like, showed up to everyone in the middle of the night. Everybody knows his was the second best role in any nativity, so... Mm. Except our friend Phoebe, who thinks that being a shepherd is better than anything else, which is fundamentally incorrect. I was never in a nativity, so I have no horse in this race. I was in many nativities, and I was once the Virgin Mary in a church nativity, and the next year I was downgraded to a shepherd. And <laughs> it's, so, it's so upsetting. 
And I will never, like, I feel like the rules should be that you're Mary and then you can only go up from Mary, so you should then go to the Angel Gabriel. And I never got to be the Angel Gabriel. My sister, who's blonde and pretty, got to be Angel Gabriel like 58 times. And I'm not bitter about it at all. (laughs) But I am extremely bitter about the fact that I was downgraded to... That is a downgrade. You can't go from being Mary, literally carried, like, immaculate conception or the baby Jesus gets yeah. all the good bits into one of three shit shepherds, doesn't even get a name. <laughs> and then a few years after that, I was another shepherd and I attempted to massively overact. That's what, being... you, that's what you've got to do. You've got to do whatever is in you to get the focus. I did, and I did a, I did a great job of getting the focus because I was a shepherd with a crutch for reasons... And I tripped over. Was it a crutch or was it like a Bo Peep sort of stuff? No, 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 it was a crutch. I was supposed to be like lame in some way. Oh, sure. My mum listens to this and I'm sure she will. Is it just that you were lame because you'd hiked so far to see the baby Jesus? I'm unclear. I'm pretty sure that I was just like, there were some shepherds and one of them had a disability. (laughs) And I I genuinely couldn't tell you why, but it was a thing. I mean, you know. Why shouldn't they? Why, why shouldn't? Yeah. Why shouldn't? Let's Disability not be ableist. representation. Yeah. yeah, not everyone in the nativity was able-bodied, and that's fine. Unfortunately, there were no accommodations made for the fake disability that I had, and so when I did my extreme overacting limping to go and pay my respects to the baby Jesus, uh-huh. I tried to limp up some stairs, tripped over, <laughs> nearly brained myself on the manger. And then just kind of lie there for a while. <laughs> what's, what's nice is that your story has been um, immortalised by Tia Sakar in The Good Place. <laughs> yes, that is very much so. It's literally the exact same beat for me story. Yeah, it was extremely embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and that I think was probably my last nativity because I was definitely like in middle school then. And so mm-hmm. that was my bowing out of nativity performances. See, we didn't do... I don't know if this is a New Zealand thing or just the schools I happen to go to thing. Or I guess, no, it's a New Zealand thing because you've you've long finished school for the year by the time Christmas comes oh, around. Okay, so yeah. we didn't do nativities in school. So we only did them in church and I was never a part of one. I think my my younger brothers and sisters might have been part of the church nativity at some point. Oliver says that he was once a sheep and got a good laugh for saying bar. <laughs> Obviously, wherever Oliver grew up in the north where apparently standards of comedy are low. So. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it was a very good bar. <laughs> It's all uh, in the time. Yeah, so that it's just the angel sitting on top of the tree. It's like yeah. that's it. He's just overlooking everything. But I like Anna's one better. It's very good. I like the fact that it implies a world where angels and Father Christmas are hanging out and they're decorating trees together. Yeah, it brings Father Christmas in is quite a grumpy. lot of aspects of Christmas tradition, which is quite nice. Yeah, it's got a whole backstory to it that I enjoy. Yeah, it's very good. So that's that question. Sorry, Anna. <laughs> uh, the next question comes from John Freeman, a friend of the podcast, who says, and this is one that kind of we got a lot of, and the next few questions are kind of versions on this. Is Christmas really just a pagan holiday usurped by the church? To which the answer is, it's complicated. <laughs> Our slogan. 
uh, slogan. Yeah, basically not officially, like not formally. Nobody ever said, like, don't celebrate, you know, Yule. You're not allowed to don't celebrate Yule anymore. And the Saturnalia is now Christmas. Like nobody ever said the Saturnalia is now Christmas. The Saturnalia being the winter festival of the Romans, which was a great time. But in the Roman Empire, between about 389 and 391, the Emperor Theodosius I did sort of ban paganism. So he did make it gradually illegal to celebrate Saturnalia or to celebrate any other pagan festivals and did crack down on that. So basically people just sort of kept doing what they were doing but instead of saying that it was Saturnalia they said that they were celebrating a saint instead mm. or they said that they were doing it for for Christ or they said something else like they just kind of basically that like most European cultures have a festival in the winter like in December January time where they hang out and have food and you know like are nice to each other because winter in <laughs> Europe is pretty horrible. It really is. And it's cold and it's grey and you don't see the sun very often and the further north you go, the grimmer it is, which is why in like a lot of the stuff that we associate with Christmas comes from like Germany and Scandinavia and stuff because they were the ones who celebrated it the hardest because they needed it the fun. most. <laughs> uh, but there were a lot of other dates that were suggested for the marking the birth of Christ. Yes. Um, and effectively, the winter solstice was the one that was picked. The winter solstice is officially marked in the Roman calendar, not the winter solstice as it actually happens, uh, which varies, which also is nine months after the vernal equinox, which is like a nice yeah. time to pretend that Jesus was conceived. Yeah. Augustine claimed that Jesus was born on the shortest day of the year Literally because that is when the world is in most need of light, which is the cheesiest <laughs> thing I have ever heard. Uh, but yeah, he is, he's quoted as saying... So desp- I feel like he maybe wrote that when it was... I mean, he was uh, in yeah. North Africa where it's kind of fine. Yeah. Uh, like it's always warm and his version of, of winter is not it's- anything like it is in Norway. But, <laughs> no. but yeah, he said... That's um, sweet. Hence it I is that like he Augustine. was born on the day which is the shortest in our earthly reckoning and from which subsequent days begin to increase in length he therefore who bent low and lifted us up chose the shortest day yet the one whence light begins to increase it's God bless Augustine. so cheesy just a big lord of cheese augustine oh he's well yeah apart from the bit where he shouts at people but apart from that yes god <laughs> bless him big fan of augustine uh, <laughs> i like that uh, <laughs> but yeah basically it is. It does usurp Christmas, as in the Mass of Christ, does usurp pagan festivals that existed, and arguably, although we'll get to that in a minute, a lot of the traditions and stuff that people did at pagan festivals for the winter solstice, winter time, moved over into Christmas. So, like, gift giving was a really big thing in the Saturnalia, and they would give each other, like, weird shit tat. Like, if you go to museums and you see amusing lamps with amusing willies on them and things like that, like, that's the kind of humorous (laughs) gift that you would give someone at Saturnalia. Mm -hmm. And 
so it did kind of usurp it a bit. So you're not, saying, there was, yeah, originally Christmas was kind of all about the dick. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, and about like turning things upside down. So that you're saying rude words was okay, and there was a whole thing with Saturnalia where the masters would serve the slaves dinner which was presumably very very funny if you were a master and you owned literal people yeah but if you were a person who was property and you had to go through this bizarre charade of being a person i suspect that it was less fun (laughs) yeah i would i would imagine um but yeah so like the idea of festivities and drinking and shouting and having a good time and eating a lot and being nice to each other is pretty big in Europe and always has been and it Christianity has one too, basically. But there was never like a, I don't know, like bishops didn't sit around going, how do we usurp this? Yeah, which again, I think is one of the common things that you come up against in history a lot is that it's really easy to look back on things and assume they were deliberate. But most of what happens sort of in human life is organic and subconscious and it happens slowly and we don't, no one ever sits down. I mean, most of the time there's there's not been a, yeah, there's not been a committee to decide to, to do most of what yeah, happens exactly. in history. Yeah, exactly. And I think it happens a lot with early Christianity because it's possible to say the church. Yeah. And you can say the church did this um, and forget that the church is just a bunch of people writing letters to each other. Yeah, and which in the early church as well have very little, may have been a lot of separate groups that didn't have a lot of contact with each other. Much like today. Much like today. <laughs> Yeah, all right, so that's that question. And then these questions, so the next questions, there's another two in one. (laughs) You can do these ones. Oh, sure. So uh, what Christmas traditions are actually Christian and which have been adopted from pagan traditions? And what is the least Christian thing about modern Christian celebrations? Uh, Those are from Owen Howe and Erotic Mythology. It's a great name. Um, Which is a podcast, I believe. Yeah, which I think is a really tough question. It is the thing is about this is it, I'm I'm going to borrow sort of a theater concept basically, mm-hmm. which is that if you you can do if you for example if you're putting on a play as a director or an actor or whatever if you're interpreting if you're adapting a book or whatever, you can do whatever you want as long as you can justify it from the text. Mm-hmm. So we could pick any one of all of the Christmas traditions that we can think of and figure out whether or not we can justify it from the text, which is the Bible and other Christian writings or pagan writings as well and and pull it in both directions. And at this distance of time, it's so open to interpretation. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And really the only like officially Christmas bit as in the worship of Christ is the fact that some people celebrate Christ Mm -hmm. and that's about it in a lot of detail sometimes too much in a lot of detail I once went to a Christmas a late night Christmas Eve service because just in case people are not aware a thing that Christian churches like to do is have a carol service at like 11 Mm -hmm. p.m at night so that you end up at midnight 
kind of on Christmas morning, which is quite nice. Yeah. Unless Christmas Eve mass is a big thing. Yeah. I went to one where one of the elders of the church told a very long story about where she speculated about things like Jesus' amniotic fluid. Oh. Which was maybe a little bit, maybe too, a bit too much detail about that particular, you know, situation. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I suppose maybe maybe she hadn't prepared anything. It was a real <laughs> panic. <laughs> but that's lovely. <laughs> um, good Christmassy. So there we go. There's. Some, I mean, you know, it's in a church. It's celebrating <laughs> Christ. It's Christian. And arguably, on the other end of the spectrum, because this is a point where we take a week out of our normal lives in order to technically celebrate Christ, it's a Christian holiday and therefore there is nothing un-Christian about it because everything done in the name of Christian is a celebration of Christ. So that's the other end of the spectrum and it can everything is really kind of in between the middle, like... My feeling, like if I'm going to go purely from the perspective of speculation, like not speculate, even speculation, like from the feeling of, of like how I feel about Christianity is that Christianity should be a modest thing and Christian mm-hmm. celebration should not be a massive orb- orgy of capitalist consumption yes. and spending money because if there's one thing that Jesus was real big on other than being the son of God. It was not that the rich suck yeah, and that it is more blessed to give than receive and you should give away all of your cloaks and if yeah. somebody needs something, you should give it to them. I mean, but he then literally on the other hand, tore apart the stalls of merchants who dared to trade in and around the temple. <laughs> Yes. If you want your punching another, you know, punching in a discussion moment of Jesus, it's, he went. And he was very big on not having more than you need. People. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think we live in a society that has more than enough. Mm. And the only way within the framework of the capitalism in which we live, in which, or at least the only sanctioned way in which you can show somebody that you love them is through the spending of money basically and that is part of the system so i would say the system of capitalism is the least christian thing about (laughs) christmas and indeed christianity at all yeah like a lot of stuff like gift giving for example is said to be the saturnalia christmas trees are one that get brought up a lot as like a on the christian thing that the christians stole but like when you look at christmas trees christmas trees come from again northern europe and the first ever christmas tree and i really like this that is in textual evidence is from 1441 in latvia mm-hmm. when the brotherhood of blackheads decorated a tree and danced around it <laughs> incredible and they were called blackheads because they were unmarried merchants sure doesn't make much more sense see i think this is this is kind of the thing about Christmas, isn't it? Because obviously a pine tree is nothing to do with the actual birth of Christ, which, if it happened, happened in Jerusalem, where I do not think pines are common. But no. it's more about how, over the last 2,000 years, how have different people marked this occasion and slowly it's spread and caught yeah. on. And 
Yeah. And then Christmas, yeah. And then it moved down into Germany and it was a big German thing. And then it came over with Albert, allegedly. Prince Albert being Victoria's mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. But like when you look at, like that's 1441, we are, I hate to break it to you guys, 1,400 years into the Christian period, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty Christian. Like, oh, yes, the Norse people did worship trees. And yes, they're, but then there's like evergreen stuff in a lot of, again, winter festivals, because a lot of winter festivals are about like, oh my God, it will be green again, I promise. <laughs> yeah, everything is so grey and cold. The yeah, days are so, so short. Cold. Can we find joy literally anywhere, please? <laughs> I legitimately haven't seen the sun in a month. Like, look, it's a green thing. I don't Let know. me love it what seasonal affective disorder is because it hasn't been invented yet but I definitely have it I feel it I real feel it <laughs> yeah so again it's not like a, a cut and dried like I am a Christian and I'm gonna steal this pagan thing and it's not like something is inherently like lots of people do it lots of people who are very Christian do it like we have friends who grew up in a very very strict anti- like wouldn't even like to say Christmas because that implies mass, which implies popishness mm-hmm. families. And they have Christmas trees. Yeah. And there's no cut and dried Christian, not Christian, if you know what I mean, because it's all Christmas and Christmas is all Christian. I'm going to talk about it more in the next question, but I would say okay. my if I was going to pull a tradition that is not Christian at all, I would say mistletoe. Okay, fair. I can't. Because it's super rapey. It's, or just... super, it's super rapey. <laughs> But also, there's no nothing about that tradition has anything to do with the story or, like, apart from the fact maybe that it's it's associated with fertility, maybe. But then all plants are, yeah. Yeah, I think I would, you know, I chuck it in with like, much as with Christmas trees, I guess, like it's having greenness green, around, yeah, yeah green and that's a green thing that. Yeah. The next question is from Tony Costin and is what's the worst Christmas tradition ever? Yes. To which we've all just done new ones, of which the answer is obviously Brussels sprouts. Jamie's going to have some problems with you about that. I have had lots of people try to convince me that Brussels sprouts are good and I have tried every way of cooking them and they still taste like a fart. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You can so, yeah. cook them in butter and bacon and garlic all you like, but it's delicious butter and bacon and yum, yum, yum. Oh, it's a fart. <laughs> they are a terrible thing, and there's a reason we only eat them at Christmas, and that's because we've all told ourselves that it's traditional and they're dreadful. <laughs> See, and the other one is... We're spending Christmas in New Zealand now, which is uh, this year, which means that it's summer, and I think Jamie's legitimately worried that he may not be able to find Brussels sprouts to cook <laughs> for Christmas Day. There you go. You to be fair, he yeah. does them well. He does like charred sprouts with lardons and they're pretty good. See, again, no. And walnuts. Like all those things are delicious. You could have them with like kale. Kale's lovely. Kale is lovely. I love a bit of kale. Do kale, a bit of garlic, a bit of lardons. Lovely. Yeah. Don't put a fart in it. <laughs> and the other one is obviously black peat. Terrible. Awful Christmas thing. Should be banned. Yeah. yeah. I think trying to cram in visits to everyone you've you're remotely related to until you're exhausted which to be fair could be considered one of the christian traditions like traveling home yeah. to see your family is you know a reflection of like joseph having to travel it's just that now like we live really far away well i mean that's the point is that joseph and mary had to travel a long way to joseph's hometown well that's a whole thing it, it, you know like, and doesn't make for, any sense it was for a census it wasn't to see his family but you know traveling but to Janina, see your family could be 
there's an argument for it being a Christian tradition. Either way, it's bullshit. It makes the whole holiday stressful as fuck. Um, and don't do it. Just have just make Christmas have a nice time. I like well, that there's a time in the year when everyone is reminded that, hey, you should see your family. It's good to do that. But I don't like the feeling that it has to be crammed into like one day or a three day period. You know, fair. One, I have done solo Christmas for the past three years, and it's been amazing, mm. and I really can't recommend it highly enough. You just spend the day by yourself. Yeah. Do what you like. It's brilliant. And two, the thing with the census doesn't make any sense, and it's obviously the Bible not understanding shit, because <laughs> the point of the census, and this is the same for the Roman census, is how many people live here and how much money have you got? Not how many people Not born where did you here. come from? Can you go home and write your name down? Doesn't make any sense make that any he would go back to his hometown to do that yeah yeah um, caesar augustus did do some sensei but it wouldn't under no circumstances would it require you to go back to your hometown where you were born that's ludicrous <laughs> so i don't know why they were traveling around but it wasn't that anyway oliver has written that it's going to the shops which is also fair, yeah, fair. <laughs> this is where i like to sort of try and stockpile christmas gifts throughout the year just when you see something that would suit someone you're like oh get that and put it aside and then That's 90% of the time I forget that I've done it, buy them something else and then find it like three months later. Oh, And then you've shit. birthday present. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hate that it starts in October. I hate that about Christmas, that people start putting up Christmas, like Waitrose, <laughs> the Waitrose down the road from me, they put out all of their Christmas stuff in October. I'm not, I'm not ready for it yet. Give no. me a chance. Um, well, I work in a bookshop and we started christmas at the end of august so you're part um, of the problem i mean yeah kind of and it just but it's because it's so enormous that you have to start preparing for it in august in order to be able to cope with the four weeks between in fact now mm-hmm. like this week it felt like it really started and you can feel it like there's just an extra volume of people and an extra volume of like mild hysteria in people's eyes mm-hmm. that then ramps up until sometimes they cry and scream and to which i would say that the orgy of consumption yep. is probably the worst it's christmas a pretty tradition. bad christmas tradition because it just i don't think anybody really likes it and a lot of people cry yeah my mum always says that she like everything is dreadful until she would get home and there would be a point on Christmas Eve where she would have a really, really strong Bacardi. (laughs) (laughs) And then she'd be like, I can't drive anywhere. I can't do anything else. I'm drunk now. (sighs) Uh, (laughs) And like the point where she would be like, I've gone over the limit for driving. I am drunk now. Christmas begins. (laughs) And it does feel like until that point, everybody is on the verge of stabbing someone else in the face. See, I kind of like, and that, that doesn't seem very fun normally because I'm, I like, I'm really good at presents. Gifts, gift giving is my language <laughs> as well. I'm really good at okay. it, and I really like doing it. But yeah, it's fuck while to force everyone to buy something for everyone they know just because it's December. Yeah, so orgy of consumption, yeah. and then yeah, mistletoe, which is super rapey. Um, if you didn't know. The kissing under the mistletoe thing is because the tradition is that a man is allowed to kiss any woman who is standing underneath mistletoe and that if she refuses, she will get bad luck. Oh, I didn't know that bit. It's super rapey and I do not like it. That's fair. That's pretty weird. Yeah. It's also meant to ward off witches and demons. And again, it's uh, a symbol of fertility. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, isn't everything? Isn't everything? Fertility. Um, anything, especially plants, because they're like life. They yeah. Represent life, which is you know, fertility. <laughs> sure. Um, but that's anyway, what it is. Sucks. So, but it's one of those ones that I like. I feel a little bit hypocritical because it's one of the ones that I've never had to come across because I do. I have some. I've for most of my life done summertime Christmas. Yeah, I have have to say I have grown up in England and I don't think I have ever. I mean, I've seen mistletoe, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone do the mistletoe thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think people really, you no. know, do it, if you know what I mean. I've only seen it in movies and TV shows. Yeah, and I think it's a plot device. Shit. Yeah. The next question is from Ted Conti, who said, did women really give birth in mangers? Uh, which And I, I hate no. to break this to you, Ted, but a manger... It's just the box where the animal feed goes. Yeah, it's just so Mary, Mary so didn't women... give birth in it. She put Jesus in a manger after he was born. Well, according to Luke, yeah. it's the only place it's mentioned is in Luke. This is the only place. Luke. So women don't generally fit in small boxes. No. But if you'd like to know the Greek word that Luke uses in 2-7, it is fartne. <laughs> but I imagine that many, many millions of women have given birth in barns. Yeah, I would imagine that millions of women have given birth in a lot of even more inconvenient places than barns because suddenly you are having a baby, you know? <laughs> in the Proto-Evangelion of James, which is a apocryphal gospel, infancy gospel, which is my favourite apocryphal gospel, <laughs> were you uh-huh. to have a favourite apocryphal gospel, I recommend the Proto-Evangelion of James. They don't make it to Bethlehem and Mary gives birth in a cave. Ooh. So there is another version of events there. So, yeah, so that is a a thing. Yeah. So, no, women did not regularly give birth in boxes, but they probably put babies in them sometimes, I guess. Yeah, It's it's one of those interesting things that I think with the story of the nativity, you hear the story told as a story so much, and you have so many, like, picture books and plays about it that you think it's really solid and locked down. But if you go back to the Bible, it's really barely mentioned like it just says (laughs) it is not a big deal yeah and literally the only gospel to talk about it is luke and all it says is mary placed the baby in a manger because there was no room in the inn and matthew because matthew's the only one that has the three wise men oh yeah matthew has the three wise men but then it's like told from their point of view like wise men travels to the place where jesus has been born and it doesn't really talk about the place it doesn't and then it has all the stuff about Herod it's really more interested in like Jerusalem than anything yeah, else I mean the Herod thing is buck wild I can imagine like why he'd want to devote a lot of time to it <laughs> it makes a very good story yeah full of does. drama and conveniently that's the next question so yes the next question from O Frontis uh, yeah. is where did the three wise men or three kings come from and were they really astrologers yeah so they're in Matthew yeah. and they come from the east the yeah. end. Again, there's very little. They're not <laughs> not given a whole lot about them in the actual Bible, but they've been no. speculated a lot, and there have been agreements made amongst you know the people of the early church, and that's about all we have. It's, yeah, no, they, nothing is very certain. No, so basically, it doesn't say in Matthew how many there were, and it doesn't say where they came from. It just says some wise men, or it says some mag- magi, which is the plural of magus, which is in the time in latin basically just means wizard it just means like 
person who can do magic, like Simon Magus, who is Paul's nemesis, and <laughs> Apocrypha Powers called him Paul's Joker, which I find amazing. He's very good. Simon Magus is Be- a lot of fun. He's so much fun. I love Simon Magus. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so they're kind of just like, so basically Magus means wizard. He says they come from the East. He doesn't say how many they were. He just says that they bring the mare, frankincense and gold. So everybody has kind of gone, well, there were three gifts. So maybe I guess they brought one each, but there could have been 12. Some of the Eastern churches have them being 12 wise men. I, ha- I mean, for Mary's sake, I hope not. Three is well, just these 12 dudes, yeah. I feel like any visitors just after you've given birth in a barn <laughs> is, you know, it's not ideal, but 12 all arriving at once, it's not the one. Awkward. <laughs> yeah, so the general, con- I say consensus, as much as there is a consensus in the Western churches, is that they were priests of um, Zoroastrianism. Was Zoroastrianism, which is a word I physically cannot say. I don't think anyone can. Zoroastrianism? Zoroastrianism? Yeah, that would do. Zoroastrianism. That thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's very Which normal. is a, a Persian religion where the priests are very focused on star movements. So they do, it is a form of astrology, but it is not like telling your fortune through the stars or telling the future through the stars. It's more like part of religious worship so that is where they say they say the king of the jews his star has risen and that's why they've come and that's what pisses off herod because he says i'm the king of the jews and they say (laughs) 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 yeah so and magi was a term that was used to refer to them but like an ancient term but by the time you get to the point where the gospels are being written magi means something else so it's a bit confusing but that is like the general consensus all three in the Western Church have been given names and places and made saints, which is nice. So they've just been kind of developed from whole cloth and they're called <laughs> Balthazar, Casper and Melchior. Yeah. And then in all of the different churches, they have different names and different places. They're all quite similar to like, they have a BCM or a BC whatever. So in Syriac churches, they're called Levandad, Gusenapf. And Hormistas. Kind of sound like Pokemon. They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Actually, now you've said that. And they, which are technically more persian names, like they're like ish, whereas obviously Balthazar, Casper, and Melchior are not. Mm. Balthazar is supposed to be from Babylon, Casper is supposed to be from India, and Melchior is from Persia, so that covers the whole of the East. In Ethiopia, they are called Hor, Carcedon, and Ban- Bassanator. So it's not like a million miles removed from... Exactly. And the same in Armenia, where they're called Kagpar, Badakharida, and Baldadima. But in again, China, none of those names are biblical. <laughs> like, no, and they're all, you know... Established long after the fact. Yeah. In Chinese churches, there's a tradition that the East was China, and they were astrologers from china who traveled i feel like it's fair i feel like if the english are going to have a christmas carol that says we three things from orient are anyone in asia gets to decide whatever they want yeah. about have them the three ways. they can be from anywhere you like yeah yeah the wise men like we call them wise men now is because that's the king james translation presumably because they didn't want to go with wizard yeah that's fair which is a real shame because wizard is wizard so much is better. More, so much more. Fun. The three wizards came. Can you imagine the effect on the Harry Potter universe if King James oh had fucked God. up by calling them wise men? 
Yeah, can you imagine the costumes in a nativity? <laughs> <laughs> I suspect it's because Wizard had some, you know, issues. Like there was some stuff with magic in yeah. the period of the King James Bible. Right, we're um, burning some people for it, so we've been a little they were bit a bit the Bible. about it. Yeah. <laughs> so they went with wise men instead, which I guess fine. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. So they come from the east, and they may or may not have been Persian priests, but they're now all saints, so that's nice. Mm. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> I mean. No one knows who they were or what they did, but good for them. <laughs> Apart from cause a minor catastrophe when Herod started killing all those kids. Yeah. Because they turned up and were like, hi guys. There's a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah. So the next question is and another overlap, so another two in one from Poppy Late. Did people still try to celebrate Christmas during Cromwell's ban? I'd like to think people were just as obsessed with Christmas back then and had small parties in secret. And from Daniel Potter, whose 21st birthday it was this week. So happy birthday, Daniel. Who is Lego Bookworm, said, How successful were Cromwell's attempts to ban Christmas? And I will tell you that when you Google this, the first thing you'll get is this bizarre Oliver Cromwell society that says, Cromwell did not ban Christmas. (laughs) Sure. Technically, irritatingly, they are correct. It's the worst. I know. Awful. Because... Christmas was banned before Cromwell came to power. It was banned by the Puritan government, the House of Commons, in 1647. So five years, six years, six years before Cromwell came to power in 1653. It was banned as being too Catholic and too debauched, which sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, there were too many people getting properly drunk, a tradition that has never died yet, so... And and celebrating Father Christmas, yeah. So Puritans didn't like any of those things. They were much more keen on the idea of fasting (laughs) and the idea that days off where you're not working, they did think you should have a day off. That's nice, one a month. Yeah, so they rebranded Christmas as Chris Tide. Shit name. Yeah, and then banned Easter as well and all holy saints days and things. And none of those were days off anymore. They were supposed to be normal business days. And instead, you got one Tuesday off a month to fast, <laughs> which sucks. I'm really glad that if they wanted people to fast, they were they're okay with them also not working, though. Yeah, only that's... that one day. The second Tuesday of every month. <laughs> yeah, so that was their attempt. It was immediately unsuccessful. And there was like a whole load of violence around it so people who opened their businesses on christmas day or christmas eve were attacked by people who thought that they should be closed and celebrating christmas in kind of the same way that people get a bit iffy about things being open at christmas now (laughs) in new zealand it's still illegal to be open on christmas day wow but a lot of businesses do it anyway because they make more money on that day than the fine by being the one is open, open. yeah. <laughs> but to be honest, I kind of like that. I this is one of the reasons that I kind of like the mass commercial commercialization and devilicization of Christmas is that I think it's nice to have this idea that there's one day when no one is allowed to work, and of course it doesn't mm. actually work because there are lots of industries where you can't be completely closed. Yeah, you down. can't be a nurse and not work. Yeah, but I like the idea that there's just a, at least one day. And actually in New Zealand there are two because Easter Sunday is the same, where it's like, no, take a beat, 
just sit down, please, for the day, yeah. please. I think that's nice. Uh, yeah, it is nice. So they tried to do that, and there were lots of militia activity, and it became kind of a battleground. But there were a lot of people who still celebrated Christmas. In 1650, there was a decree, uh, or a decree, they received information that there was very willful and strict observation of the day, commonly called Christmas Day, throughout the cities of London and Westminster by a general keeping of the shops shut up, and there were contemptuous speeches used <laughs> by some people in favour thereof. And people did lots of deliberate partying as a political statement, and people wrote pamphlets with Father Christmas on them, and Father Christmas became, like, a real big thing, uh, like, a big protest against Puritan government and a pro-royalist marker of anti-Cromwellism <laughs> or anti-roundheads I guess and emphasised that Christmas was great and that it was warm and lovely so this is from uh, 1646 pamphlet depicting royalist malignants as flocking around Father Christmas. So this is an anti-Christmas and mm -hmm. anti-royalist thing. Flocking around Father Christmas, printed by Simon Minced Pie for Sicily Plum Porridge, <laughs> emphasising the warm welcome that old Father Christmas would receive in every home, an old, old, very old, grey-bearded gentleman want to be very familiar guest and visit all sorts of people, both poor and rich, and in every house roast beef and mutton, pies and plum porridge, and all manner of delicates around him, and everyone saluting Merry Christmas. That sounds great. It doesn't it sound great. So that was a year before it was banned, but still sounds pretty great. But that was the kind of thing that was still done, like people were still having feasts and refusing to go to work. At one point, Parliament tried to hold Christmas Day, so they tried to, like, have a vote, like a meeting of parliament on the Christmas day mm -hmm. to try to make a point about it, only to find that like a third of people just didn't come <laughs> and stayed at home to eat plum pudding and beef instead. So the ones that did show up passed extra harsh taxes in order to punish everybody. They were dickheads. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's yeah. So it was not enormously successful. They did their best. Um, yeah. And there were some real, like, clashes. Like, people had... Like, people went to mass or went to church on Christmas Day, found themselves in a couple of years being dragged out and beaten by militias. People found themselves being arrested for celebrating Christmas. I mean, I think it's so, one of those things that is a symptom of the sort of undercurrent... Like, well, not undercurrent... Explosive overcurrent of reforming the church is that everything was so fraught and everything was an indication that you were either a heretic and a popist or a puritan who hated everything um yeah and it swung wildly back and forth depending on who was in power and a lot of people died over petty things like do you want to eat a mince pie at christmas <laughs> and plenty of people were just in the middle and yeah didn't have any particular feelings about it either way. <laughs> but it got real big. Uh, and then in 1660, Cromwell's son was overthrown. Charles II, with his glorious hair and his glorious <laughs> gold everything, rode back into town, put some men's clothes on, and went, King's back. Let's have some fucking fun. Yeah. I think it was still a little bit, like, debatable for a while. Like, there are obviously still a huge class of Puritans who are looking down their nose at anyone who's having, having a, a wine with their rich food on christmas day absolutely um, but then so, uh, they all went to america so it was okay yeah. and apparently it fully got embraced totally mainstream and everything in the early 18th century with the oxford movement who 
by like a really reductive way of talking about the Oxford movement is that they wanted religion to be fun and glamorous again. <laughs> they brought, well, there we go. Brought some Catholicism back into the Anglican Church a little bit. That's nice. It's nice. I like to imagine that the first Christmas after Charles came in was a real good time because Charles was a real good time. Mm. He is my favourite king. He's pretty good. He is the best one. <laughs> he is just all that luxurious hair. Like he did kinging right, I reckon. And yeah, so yeah. big fan of him. But I imagine that that one was a real good one. It's a really good, he's a really good way for the monarchy to make its comeback. Like he is. Imagine if the monarchy had had to come back with anyone else, really. Anne. Imagine if yeah. it came oh, back with Anne. Oh, imagine if it came back with Anne. Exactly. Awful. Mm, no good. No good at all. Okay. Right, we've got one last question because we've been going on for ages. <laughs> so this comes from Luke. Did the Christmas truce really happen? Yeah. Uh, he emailed us this. Yeah. And uh, this is a cut down version of a longer question that we will do later, but it was Christmassy, so I stole it. <laughs> yeah. This is something that genuinely, even to this day, I've read about this at various points over my whole life and it still makes me very emotional. It was featured in a deeply bad episode of Doctor Who not too long ago <laughs> and when it happened I just sobbed. You know what? I didn't I've never felt particularly emotional about the Christmas trees, which is Christmas for nineteen fourteen, then the French front and World War One when nothing was really happening, nobody really knew what the war was going on, nobody really seemed to understand the war, which is fair, and so, and they didn't really hate each other yet, so a lot of places they crossed no man's land and started hanging out and sung carols and played football, and that did not make me super emotional. What made me really emotional was that the next year they were banned from doing it. Yeah, I didn't know that part. And then a couple of times on two separate occasions. So in 1915, one German unit attempted to approach the British under a flag of truce on Easter Sunday and were shot at, which just breaks my little heart. Yeah, that's devastating. And then in, in 1916 at Christmas, so they had not been officially banned in 1916, they were banned in 1915, then a lot of the Germans still tried to approach the British and they like threw them presents and tried to like be their friends and they were all rebuffed and shot at and the idea of them being like do you remember when it was really nice a couple of years ago do you want to try and do that again and like all getting together and then coming out and going and then the British because but by that time Verdun had happened and the Somme had happened Mm. and the Germans had been using tear gas and lots of horrible poison gases and the British had frankly gone right off the Germans yeah. so they were not in the mood things you know the first year it was everyone discovering that they were all just boys and none of them mm-hmm. wanted to be there and none of them understood why they were but the longer you let that situation which as we've talked about before was a clusterfuck that had no real reason to happen yeah the please deeper, see episode 2 it, it's like I mean it's 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 the it's like on a catastrophic and heartbreaking scale that thing where like you think a friend has but has like shunned you because they didn't see your message or something and then it spirals yeah. that's what world war one was for the men on the ground <laughs> i think sometimes <laughs> i feel yeah i just the idea of them like approaching each other or like one one side approaching yeah. in a like 
do you remember when we were friends and now we're not friends anymore? Just make that that fully. I was like, <gasps> yeah, it's it breaks my heart. It's heartbreaking. I mean, I find World War One super emotional in general because it just is like really young kids, right? Like these. Mm-hmm. Four, like I am absolutely opposed to sort of British super British nationalism that that has its sort of emotional core and our brave boys. But when you think about these teenage boys, like our brave boys who just didn't want to be there and were fighting for something that didn't really affect them, and then you know they sang carols to get there and played football, and then the next day had to go back and be on opposite yeah. sides and shoot at each other again. It's just heartbreaking and like, yeah. I'm very it sorry, is. but World War One is a heartbreaking stain on our history, and I, <laughs> it's devastating to it think about. It is a colonial nightmare. It is, but so it did happen. They did genuinely play football, and then they didn't after that because then they hated each other, which is real sad. Yeah, it's really really sad. And that is the sad end of the Christmas episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's all go it. and weep about humanity. Yeah, or or to end it on a slightly less depressing note, if we just look at that one incident in a bubble, which I feel like sometimes for your own, you know, psychological well-being, you need to do. Christmas is a time to just be nice to each other and sing carols, and yeah, shake hands with people who you thought were your enemies. And play some football with a tin can. Play some backyard football with the only thing you can get your hands on. Which, according to one, is a bully beef ration tin. Mm. It's very good. Yeah, so that, yeah. yeah. So be nice to each other. Yeah, be nice. Don't, That's, you and, know, and don't just get, chill. It's all right. Don't get stressed. And you have my permission to not buy everyone presents if buying presents is stressing you out. And I strongly recommend Solo Christmas. Solo Christmas is very good. Or it well, is. it depends. I've had a couple of grim Solo Christmases. That's true. If it kisses a, if think if it's a chosen, because mine are very explicitly chosen and curated to yeah. be nice Solo Christmases. Our couples Christmas, which we normally do, this is the first in years that we won't be doing it, is very good. You see, that's a nice Christmas too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. What are we talking about next time? Next time we are also doing a two-in-one. So two for the price of one. Actually, is this the same? It's not the same two people. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just suddenly occurred to me that maybe these two people have like a lot in common. Um, So it is. Pilate asked, uh, what was the story of the nuns of Loudoun and how many different interpretations are there? And the nuns of Loudoun are a witchcraft possessed by the devil situation which is good fun. But mm. John Freeman also asked, what's the history of witches? Is it as sexist as I reckon? So we're going to be doing witches and yes, witch trials. I'm really excited. I love I love witchy histories. Yeah. Uh, I love a good witchy history. Mm. And also there's a lot of good stories of people being possessed by the devil, which is fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. So that is next time. If you have a question then you can get us on Twitter at at SexyHistoryPod. Or you can email us at SexyHistoryPod at gmail.com. Or you can Facebook us at uh, Succeed Without the E HistoryPod. Mm-hmm. Or you can tweet us individually. I am at J9 and F. And I am at Nuclear Teeth. 
and Oliver is at Kiwa. And that's it, I think. Is that everything? I think so. Yeah, leave us reviews, tell people you like us. And have a really fun and happy Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you are celebrating at this time of year. Yeah. Oh, I've just remembered there was one other Christmas question. Oh, what was there? There was, and the question was, I've just remembered, the question was, what books do you recommend reading this Christmas? So I'm going to say, if you want to buy your friends some books, then buy Janina's book. Yes, please do. (laughs) Which is a lovely magical realism book, and it's very beautiful and very beautifully written, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's called Of Things Gone Astray. And it is lovely. It's a very beautiful book. Also by Emma's book, Agrippina. Empress Exile Hustler Whore if you are in the UK and some other title if you are not. It's just Agrippina. It's incredible and it's non-fiction but it's fun. And it it is neither lovely nor beautiful but it's good fun. It's really, really (laughs) good. I highly recommend it. And we're not just saying this because we love each other. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, that's a good book. I I thoroughly enjoyed Janina's book even... Yeah, yeah, even though she is my friend. Yeah, all good stuff. So those are my two book recommendations, me and Janina. Yeah, or I always think Agatha Christie is a good one to read at Christmas. That's There's true. There's something very um, Christmassy about an old school mystery. Yeah, I have just read Exterminate All the Brutes by Sven Lindqvist, which is not happy at all and is about how <laughs> the Holocaust was very strongly ideologically related to the attempted genocides in Africa. So... I recommend reading it if you just really want to feel sad. Yeah. Well, also, um, Priest Daddy is really incredible by Patricia Lockwood. Uh, It's one of those books that's really great to read at Christmas because you don't want to put it down. So it's great to read when you have nothing nothing else demanding your time. Yeah. So good. Have you read Educated, Tara Westover yet? I haven't. No. Also amazing. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that it's incredible. Another one you don't want to put down. So, yeah. Uh, so, there you go. There's our book recommendations. There's loads of books. Also, <laughs> Read um, those Malmouth books. by friend, our, our delightful friend Sarah Perry is probably just about as good a book as you can get. True. It also won't make you feel great about life, but it it's is. It's not great for, it. yeah, it's great for, win- it's great for winter. Maybe not great it for is, Christmas. It is, cold nights. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, right, that's enough. That's enough book recommendations. We'll be here all night. We'll be here all night. Yeah, okay. Bye, Janina. Bye, Emma.